Welcome to the Holistic Health Podcast, beautiful humans. If a professional, polished, well-edited podcast is what you're after, then move right on. If, however, you love unfiltered banter, unedited bloopers, authentic heart sharing, and a very generous dash of holistic health education, then you're in the right place. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Health Podcast. Amy, good morning. How are we over in the Skilton household this morning? Oh my gosh. So good. Uh, I, for those of you who listened to last week, I've um, come back from Thailand after a, a health retreat, but I've gone from like 33 degrees and like 80% humidity to it's like 17 degrees and 37%. My I, First of all, I'm wearing multiple layers when I had been running around in a swimsuit. And on top of that, my skin has just absolutely dried out. So I'm hitting the Omega 7. Um, if anyone's listened to our skin nutrition podcast, you'll know what I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, literally wearing a coat at my desk. <laughs> oh, I know. What about you? Well, yeah, I feel, I mean, I'm also wearing many, many layers, which I'm not accustomed to. I'm I'm mostly as clothless as I can be. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I've really noticed the change in the air this, like the last few mornings. Hey, cause I go for either a surf or a walk most mornings. And this morning I actually had to put on a jumper to go for my little bush walk. As much as I love summer, I also really enjoy having seasons. Mm, me too. Yeah, me too. Exciting. Well, tell us, tell the people what we are going to be talking about today. All right. Well, this is a really exciting episode and I'm really looking forward to learning from you, Nat, more about this. Um, And it is this concept of reverse dieting. So I think if we were to say to anyone, you know, what is dieting? I think most people would understand that it's a change in what you're consuming um, nutrition-wise, usually lessening (laughs) what you're having. Um, Sometimes it might be more specific and nuanced around health, you know, whether it's going off certain foods or following certain protocols. But generally speaking, the concept that we're talking about here is the opposite of dieting, meaning dieting, eating less, reverse dieting. It's technically I suppose in the simplest terms, eating more, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a little bit more sophisticated than that, folks. So <laughs> stick around. We'll explain to you who who's a good candidate for reverse dieting, who might not be, what exactly is the process of reverse dieting, what is its purpose, getting really clear on that from a, you know, a professional's perspective, and also what to expect, because I'm sure when it comes to nutrition and dieting, you know, there's an awful lot of fear and misunderstanding around eating for health. And I think reverse dieting as a concept can sometimes also feel a bit scary for people um, if they have been dieting, um, you know, even for a short amount of time, but especially if it's been something that's been a, you know, a big feature of your life. So very excited to have this conversation today. Um, And we might start with, you know, who reverse dieting is suitable for so that if you're listening to this, you know, straight away, whether this is something that, you know, you could actually apply to your life um, and benefit from. So Nat, do you want to take us through who reverse dieting actually would be a good fit for? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So when I think of reverse dieting and people who it is suitable for, I would say there's a few different types or situations. So one would be if you are someone who has, you know, could maybe identify as a bit of a yo-yo dieter. So you've been on or off diets for, you know, years of your life or anything beyond a year, I would say, in terms of being on something, off something, on something, off something. Um, it's also definitely suitable for anyone who has a history of chronic undereating. So if you feel like you're someone who has always eaten very little and you desire to eat more, whether that be for um, enjoyment purposes, health purposes, so that you can get more micronutrients in, um, definitely that that kind of situation as well. And also it's particularly for you if you 
let's say you are, you know, going on a weight loss or body composition or recomposition journey and you've been doing well and you're seeing some results. And then at some point you have hit a plateau that is lasting more than a couple, you know, two to three weeks and you just can't seem to get any further along in that journey. And you feel like you're already eating, you know, a low amount of of food you're exercising to, you know, a sensible amount or at the capacity or your movement, you don't have any more space for more exercise or movement in your life and you're just not seeing any results. And so this is a time where applying a reverse diet can be really helpful. Mm. It's also particularly helpful if you have reached your goal. So if you've reached your goal of, okay, I'm now at a healthy, sustainable weight that um, you know, is good for my health. I'm I'm happy with, I'm feeling confident and comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. And now rather than just going, oh, well, I don't need to quote unquote diet anymore. I'm just going to go back to eating whatever I want. That's the fastest way to put on back, what put back, weight back on and more. Whereas reverse dieting is the process that we would apply so that you are able to maintain that weight and also in, um, improve or or heal your metabolism after having gone through that dieting period. Mm. Um, so that's probably the the people who it's yeah most most suitable to, suitable for. Mm, lovely. Is would this be considered the same kind of thing or at least similar for where you've got bodybuilders and body sculptors sort of going through like a leaning out process and then a bulking up process? Would yeah. that also be similar? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I've definitely um, been involved in more of that with like athletes and I don't mm. do so much of that anymore, but um, yeah, interesting. So it can be applied in a number of ways and yeah, I really sort of took away from that, like feeling like you're not getting results anymore is mm. kind of the big one, whatever that looks like. And it may not even be results around body composition, meaning you're happy with your muscle mass and body fat, but also, you know, if you are eating less, you're not getting as many micronutrients and maybe you've got deficiencies and you're having, you're struggling to sort of address those. So certainly there's quite a few people that this could be really applicable for. Um, that being said, I'm sure there are some people who this wouldn't be a good fit for. Would you share with us maybe for who reverse dieting isn't a good fit? Yeah. So I'd say it's unnecessary if you are already at a healthy, happy weight and you're eating an adequate amount of food. Mm-hmm. So you certainly not everyone needs to do it. Um, I would also say it's not suitable for you if you are currently in you know the depths of an eating disorder and aren't or and don't already have you know an a therapist on board to help you through the mental and emotional component of that because part of healing from disordered eating is mm-hmm. also taking a focus off so much what you're eating and that being the center of your world. Mm -hmm. So particularly I'm talking to if you are currently in the depths of something like anorexia nervosa, I wouldn't say that doing a structured reverse diet is the healthiest thing mentally or emotionally because for the reverse diet to work in the way that it's intended, we are focusing on being mindful and intentional and and almost tracking and gathering data around the reverse diet. So Mm. I would say that probably focusing more on the mental and emotional side of that healing journey is more applicable. Mm. I do think that because we're speaking, I'm speaking to eating disorders a little bit at the moment, if you're someone who identifies as, you know, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with binge eating or emotional eating because I tend to restrict and then overeat, it's definitely suitable for you. Again, provided though in that context that you do also have some emotional or mental health support on board um, to allow that process to be really well supported. Um, so there, that's probably who it's who it's not suitable for, but it's just about being discerning. And it's probably also actually, while I'm on the topic of that, not suitable for you if you don't have the mental or emotional capacity right now in this season of your life to be focusing on um, being intentional and, and perhaps tracking your food 
for a certain period of time because for it to work, particularly if you're going from a low amount of food, which most people are, to intentionally increasing it, you for it to work most effectively, mm. you do need to be tracking your food. And if that right now just feels like, oh, my God, I'm like up to my eyeballs with things that I'm doing in my life and that's just going to tip me over the edge further, mm. then perhaps it's not the right thing for you at in this current moment of time. And mm. it's not that you have to forever track your food, but in order to strategically get yourself out of a low calorie amount, we need to know, you know, we need to know what's going in in order to get to a place where we can then eat more intuitively, as we'd say. Mm, I love that. And I think that's a really important distinction to make because there's the mechanics of reverse dieting and literally the logistics of that mean you are tracking your macronutrients um, accord and, you know, to achieve a, in a certain goal or intention that's been set for you by a nutritional professional. And that sounds easy enough. And maybe if you're just someone who's been chronically dieting, but not struggling with the mental, emotional side of eating, it would be fairly straightforward. But of course, if you're still in the midst of a psychological battle with yourself and your body, um, that's really something that needs attention and support and perhaps some healing before you undertake something like this. Um, so I think that's a really great, a great point. Okay, so now that we're clear on who would really benefit from it and maybe others who might benefit from it in the future, but not just now, um, do you want to take us through what the actual process of reverse dieting is? Mm, yes. So basically how it works is let's say someone is, there's usually two situations or two types of people. There's the person who has just been, kind of either like following some kind of weight loss diet, whether that has been labeled as just cutting out certain food groups and therefore eating less, whether it's just been reducing their portion sizes in, in a very like generalized way. Mm -hmm. And then the other type of person is the person who has been tracking their calories or their macros and knows what their current intake is. Mm -hmm. So in the instance of the person who maybe is quote unquote dieting um, or eating less intentionally, but doesn't actually have the numerical value of what that is looking like, I would usually get that person to track, you know, three to five days worth of their um, intake by weighing and measuring their food and tracking it in um, in an app that's going to allow us to see how much calories, proteins, fats, carbs, etc. that they're eating. And there are a few different ones out there. My Fitness Pal, Carbon. You know, it doesn't really matter too much what you use. It matters that you're consistent with what you use. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to use one or both of those, just depending on the person. And then what we do is now we understand, okay, so this person is currently maintaining their weight on that amount of food, which means we now know what we call your your maintenance calories, your the amount of food that you are eating to sustain your weight at this current point in time. The other person, we obviously already have that information because they've been following something. So as a really, you know, trivial example here, it might be someone who's going, okay, well, I'm following a 1200 calorie diet or a 1500 calorie diet. And, um, you know, I have X amount of protein, fats and carbs that I'm consuming at the moment. And that person um, knows, okay, well, my weight is staying the same while I'm eating that amount of food, which means that currently at this point in time, those are your maintenance calories. Mm -hmm. So now that we know what the maintenance amount of food or calories are that that person needs to sustain their weight, what we're essentially trying to do is increase that amount of food over time to mean that you can maintain your weight on a higher amount of energy on a higher amount of calories. Mm -hmm. And the way the process or the way in which that works is that we gradually add in energy or calories over weeks to months to get you up as close as we can to what we predict 
your maintenance calories to be. So that prediction is based on usually an equation, and there are many different equations out there that we can use um, to estimate that, like there are different energy intake calculators out there available on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um and the way like that that works is it's basically based on your height, your weight, your age, um, sometimes your body fat percent, if you know that, though most people don't know that, um, and also your activity level. So, you know, what what are your general activity levels? How much do you exercise? And we're shooting for that number. We might not always get to that number, but somewhere in the vicinity of that because that means that we've then essentially healed your metabolism or allowed it to adapt back up to a healthier spot. Mm -hmm. So that could take, as I said, weeks, that could take months, that could take a year. So the, the slower you increase the amount of food, the less likely you are to put on weight. The faster you do it, the more likely you are to put on weight. And we'll talk about some expectations around that shortly. But logistically, how it works um, when I'm doing it with clients is we would usually increase their calories by about 50 to 100 calories per week or fortnight, depending again on um, how, how low their calories have been and also how comfortable or uncomfortable they are with accepting a little bit of uh, weight gain, um, you know, as a consequence to increasing their food and and getting their metabolism healthier faster. Mm. So that again is different for everyone and everybody's metabolism adapts differently. So along the way, if someone, let's say I said, increase your um, calories by a hundred calories a week, and that person is still losing weight, then we know that, okay, we have probably a little bit more wiggle room. We could increase it by a little bit more. Mm. If, for example, I give someone a 100-calorie increase, um, you know, for a couple of weeks in a row and their weight is going up quicker than what um, I'd expect or that they're comfortable with, then we just decrease the amount that we're increasing it by for that period of time. So it's very flexible in terms of how you do it. And it's taking that individual circumstance into consideration Mm. in terms of, well, when you say calories, like am I increasing it from protein, fats, carbohydrates? So I would say that the first place I look is increasing it from protein if you're not already eating the amount of protein that's required for your body based on your um, activity level and your your body weight. Mm. If you're already eating a good amount of protein, the next place I'd actually increase it from is carbohydrates because it has a more positive effect on leptin levels, on your metabolism and on your thyroid function in a good way if we increase it from carbohydrates first. Um, And then the last place that I'd start to increase it from would be fats. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, There are exceptions to that rule depending on the person, but that's the general way in which I'd approach it. Mm, Yeah, I see what you mean. That was going to be my question to you when you were talking about calories. I'm like, what are the macros? Mm. Um, But I think what you're saying is you've already done an assessment of their current intake and if they're not meeting adequate protein levels, that's the first place to start. Mm. Um, And then assuming, well, not assuming, if if you can see as far as what they're eating, they're they're actually hitting their protein target you'd want them to, then you would go to carbohydrate. And would I be correct in assuming you'd focus more on like fibrous vegetables first? Definitely, because we're, you know, we're wanting to try and feel as satiated as we can because in the process of reverse dieting, you know, if you are at a point where you've been under eating, sometimes you can get in this state where you're actually not that hungry and you might feel you might have you know suppressed your hunger perhaps there's a, you know a little bit of stress hormones involved when you're under eating which can um you know if you've got a lot of adrenaline in your system or you're in a bit of a survival state that can for some people actually suppress their appetite mm-hmm. and as we actually start to add more food in you can find that your hunger actually starts to increase mm-hmm. and so what we're trying to do is 
keep you very satiated through that process. Plus, the other part to that is that, you know, if you've been under eating or eating a lower amount of food for a significant period of time, chances are that some of your micronutrient intakes are lower. And we know that particularly those carbohydrates that contain fiber are often the same types of carbohydrates that are more rich in vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients versus if we were just to give you them through refined carbohydrates, you you know, you're not getting as much benefit if we're giving them to you through refined carbohydrates versus if we're giving them to you through foods that are more nutrient dense. So we're Mm. kind of two birds, one stone situation. I love that. I've just realized in your last description that you're describing me (laughs) and what I went through earlier this year. So um, I don't really fit into the, the categories we talked about at the beginning. Actually, that's not true. Basically, I was chronically under eating but it wasn't on purpose. So for lots of reasons, including, you know, some damage that was done with mold, like hormones, my appetite centers aren't very strong. And, you know, when you just get busy in life and you're not sort of really consciously looking at your habit, habitual choices, for quite some time I'd been under eating and didn't realize it because I never felt hungry. I was eating really healthy food. Um, but overall I was dramatically under eating. I was actually really shocked. So how this all came about was I have been really intentional since the beginning of this year on how to increase my energy. And that's involved a number of areas of self-inquiry, including like, where am I losing energy? Where am I wasting energy? Where is energy being siphoned away from me that I need to plug those holes? as well as where am I getting my energy from? Um, And food, of course, is one of those. And I actually did a nutritional assessment on myself. And oh my God, I I just was horrified actually um, at how much I was under eating and also how short I'd fallen of my protein goals. And so interestingly, I kind of just did this, um, you know, without using the term reverse dieting. And I wrote myself a meal and menu plan uh, programmed, you know, the recipes to hit a certain amount of protein, didn't really worry about the rest of it. Um, but I think I, I didn't do, <laughs> didn't do 50 to hundred calories a week. I just went, holy shit, I'm not eating enough. And I just, I don't know. I think I just went from, I think I went up like 500 calories or something. It was like yeah. quite a leap. Really interesting. I did not put on any weight. In fact, I, I was losing weight mm. just very slowly. Um, But more importantly, yeah, my energy was great. My mental focus during the day was dramatically better. Um, I felt better in myself. And I think it's such a catch-22 because stress hormones mess with your appetite, but under eating also messes with your stress hormones. And um, I think it had become this really nasty feedback loop where I just never felt hungry, but under eating was triggering more stress hormones, which was Mm. suppressing my appetite. So Yeah. um, I'm very pleased to hear I did it the right way. Yeah. Well, actually you brought up a really interesting point, which is, you know, mentioning there that you actually feel like you probably had a guess increased your your food intake by around 500 calories. Mm -hmm. And initially I actually do do that for some people, particularly if they're, let's say they're eating 1200 and I'm just using this as a as a number like because it's easy 1200 so let's say you're eating that (laughs) and you are maybe steadily still losing a little bit of weight for some people and this might not have been you but just as an example because it is quite common Mm. then we're actually like we usually have more of a buffer to increase then and your body will will adapt. So sometimes what I give people is a bit of like a calorie boost at the beginning of the reverse diet. So we might go up by 300 to 500 calories for the first couple of weeks, see mm-hmm. how their body adapts and then start to trickle more food in. It's mm-hmm. very like person dependent because something that is a bit misunderstood for a lot of people or there's a misconception around is that we just have this one exact set number that we maintain our, our weight on. But it's mm-hmm. not true. We have a range. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that range is really quite wide. And for others, it's a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, okay, let's say, Amy was maintaining her weight on 1,200 calories that as soon as she ate 
you know, 50 more calories more or 50 calories less that automatically she's going to put on weight or, or lose weight. Mm. It's, it's often a range. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind around when we're aiming for certain targets. And that's often why, for mm. example, if you're trying to intentionally lose weight, mm. you can't just take away 50 to 100 calories in a week and expect that that's going to actually make a change because your body just adapts because all it cares about is protecting you Mm. and it will defend where you are at as much as it can unless the difference is a little bit more significant than that. And Mm. it works both ways in terms of down and up Mm. and everybody has a different what we call metabolic adaptation ability to pick up and adjust to increases and decreases of of energy intake. Mm, So interesting. Well, certainly on 1,200 calories a day, my weight wasn't going anywhere Mm. and I wasn't eating that amount for any conscious purpose or for weight loss. I was just literally eating healthy and what I felt like. Um, And then my weight started going down once I started eating more. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Actually, can can explain that one because another really good point is that what happens when like, and this speaks to the phenomenon of why do some people lose weight when they are increasing their food in a reverse diet? Mm. Because that does happen for some people. Mm. It doesn't happen for everyone. And we'll Mm. speak to that as well. But Arguably why some people lose weight in a reverse diet, i.e. when they are either intentionally or unintentionally increasing their food, is because one of the first things that happens when you start to give your body more food is that your NEAT increases. So your NEAT is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Mm-hmm. It's based, And it's a huge chunk of your metabolism, your huge chunk of what takes up your energy in a day. Mm-hmm. And what NEAT is, is it refers to all the things that you do pretty much subconsciously, how often you blink, how much you fidget, um, you know, how much just like incidental activity you might be doing. Mm. Um, And you'll notice or you may be able to connect to this for some of you that if you have ever eaten a low, low amount of food, you will find that you sit a lot stiller compared to when you actually have more energy, you tend to move around a little bit more. Literally, people will blink more when they have more energy. You'll often just you you might not even notice it. Like I've certainly noticed it just because I I know about it and you might now too that you know about it. But what happens is that, and the other element actually is that a lot of people will be, for example, if they're someone who is training in a gym, let's say part of their exit, so part of their weight loss strategy has also been incorporating exercise, which for a lot of people it is, the effort or intensity that you put into your exercise, even if it's the exact same training plan, will increase because you just have more energy to do it. Mm. Um, So the combination of an increase in NEAT, um, perhaps an increase in exercise intensity, or even um, improved sleep quality or quantity comes together to actually end up meaning that the amount in which you are increasing your food by is not actually matched by the changes in your NEAT, i.e. because you've given your body more food, your output has actually increased just by those factors that I've mentioned. Therefore, Mm -hmm. you're still technically in a quote-unquote deficit, which is why weight loss continues to happen. And at some point that will stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is why for some people they actually start to lose lose weight in a reverse diet and also the effect, the positive effect that increasing food has on your stress hormones, which makes it easier to, to lose weight because you've got better blood sugar balance and just a better hormonal situation going on as well. Plus, a lot of the time when you start to give your body more food and it's more nourished and it's feeling more safe, inflammation tends to go down. And whether you, whenever you're inflamed, you're holding on to water and water weight 
equals scale weight, for example, if that's one of the ways you're tracking it, or it also might feel like weight. And most people can connect to this because, you know, that idea of when you have a bad night's sleep and you wake up with a puffy face, mm. you, you're retaining water. So it's kind of relate. It's it's complicated, but it does make sense when you break it down. Wow. That is, that is such a revelation. You know, in you saying that, like, I have always wondered why, like, I don't blink that much. <laughs> I'm just too, don't have because enough energy. you're a serial killer. <laughs> like I've always been like, yeah, just less activity, slower. And I was aware of that. I was certainly not aware of blinking more, but I I do appreciate that once I started eating more and I had more energy, I could do things so much more fast and efficient, like mm. unloading the dishwasher and I would be running up and down the stairs instead of like trying to like do everything in one go because I don't yeah. have to do. How many teacups can I carry downstairs? Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. Exactly. So that is absolutely fascinating. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, all right. Well, enough about me folks. We've got a few more few more points to cover for those of you who are, you know, considering whether reverse dieting is something you want to do. So I want to talk about obviously what to expect in a minute because I'm that's probably the question that everybody's dying to ask. Um like how does it feel? What does it look like? All of those things. But before we dive into that, I want to just get clear on what the purpose of reverse dieting actually is. I mean, we've spoken a little bit about, I mean, especially with the NEAT and increasing thermogenesis and things like that. Um, Sounds like great stuff, but I'm sure it's more than that. So do you want to walk us through like, what is the intention for reverse dieting? What are we trying to do when we do this or we recommend it to somebody? Yeah, there's a few different purposes or or reasons why you might pursue it or the purpose of pursuing it for each person. So one is that at a low amount of food intake, we often struggle to hit our micronutrient intake. So one benefit of reverse dieting is to allow us to be able to have an easier time getting enough of our vitamins, minerals, and fiber, for example. Mm -hmm. So that's one purpose. Another purpose is to, quote, unquote, heal your metabolism, which that just means allowing your body to have, you know, the ability to eat more food while still staying the same weight. So having a quote unquote faster metabolism, which I would just say a healthy metabolism is really the goal, but the the term faster metabolism is colloquially referred to a lot. Mm. Um, And that's obviously got benefits um, beyond just being able to have a better micronutrient and macronutrient intake and therefore be a healthier human. Mm-hmm. It's also beneficial for your thyroid, for your hormones. Because one thing that actually does downregulate or change when you are dieting is that your thyroid function does decrease mm-hmm. um, or it adapts in terms of, again, it's because it, Undereating is perceived as a stress to your body for the most part. And so your thyroid detects that stress and responds accordingly by going, okay, system, I know that we're not getting enough food at the moment. So we all need to be a little bit more efficient with the available resources that we do have. Therefore, we are going to run off a smaller amount of food. Um, so we get to reverse that process and carbohydrates, um, are a huge part of helping to reverse that to help improve the conversion of your inactive thyroid hormone to your active thyroid hormone. Um, and so is just overall calorie restoration. Mm. So there's that. And there's also ben- like really big benefits to eating more or adequately from a hormone perspective, as I mentioned, in terms of as, as females, our hormones function best, our sex hormones function best. We are at our most fertile. We are at our healthiest. When our body 
feels like it is nourished and therefore safe and energy availability has a lot to do with that. So um, that's something that's really can be really important and beneficial and, and is part of the purpose of it. So for example, if someone has a fertility goal, if they have a goal to improve their hormone balance, if they have um, don't have a period and they're trying to get it to come back, it's a huge component of it. Mm-hmm. If they are going through perimenopause or approaching that and we're actually trying to support their nervous system, knowing that the nervous system and adrenals are what kind of picks up the slack as the ovaries and the, um, you know, I guess female reproductive system starts to shut up shop. Mm. And we know it's really important to support the thyroid and adrenals. Mm. And then the other purpose I would say is that having more being able to eat more food and still stay the same weight or to maintain your weight means for a lot of people that they can socialize easier, that they can now eat the same things as the rest of their family rather than buying, you know, really low calorie things or having to skip meals or saying no to eating out or no to social gatherings because, you know, it's, um, they don't have the room in their intake to be able to um, do that. It means that, you know, more soul foods can come in or you might be able to have that treat um, a couple of times a week that really brings you a lot of joy in the context of the rest of your diet without it being something that ends up taking up half your day's energy intake in something that really isn't a nutrient-dense food. Um, So it gives you a little bit more flexibility in all senses of the word. Mm. The other, the last purpose of it is to actually, ironically, allow you to go into a successful weight loss journey. So what I mean by that is that calories aren't everything, but they absolutely count when it comes to trying to achieve weight loss or a body composition change. Mm-hmm. So probably beyond the the conversation here, but basically at some point you're like let's say and this, this is a situation that happens all of the time. Someone gets down, someone is, you know, it, they're starting to eat less or they're on a diet, it's working, it's all going really well, they're exercising, you know, as as much as they can for their lifestyle. So let's say they're doing three training sessions a week and they're going for a walk each day. And at the moment, that's that's their capacity. That's all they can fit in their life. They're eating, let's say, uh, you know, 1,500 calories. And then they hit a plateau. So no longer is the is their body changing, is their weight loss happening. And then they decrease their intake. And maybe now they're eating 1,200 calories and they've seen like a little bit more weight come off and they're happy with that. But then again, they hit another plateau. And at this point, at 1,200 calories, even 15, it's, it's a pretty low amount of food and you're going to be struggling to get your micronutrient intakes. Your energy is going to be affected you know, your nervous system becomes stressed, your hormones are often starting to be affected, sometimes your sleep, your concentration, your memory. And at this point in time, you have two options. You can try and decrease again, but, you know, again, you're going to feel far worse trying to lose weight or change your body composition and run into more health problems that come into play when you're eating a really low amount of food. So you can choose to do that, to continue the change or what I'd encourage people to do in this situation is actually go, okay, in this cycle of quote unquote dieting, I've gotten the most out of my body that I can in terms of change. Now what I need to do is go through a process of healing my metabolism. And that might be a three to six month commitment of going, I need to heal my metabolism and try and get my calories back up as high as I can while roughly maintaining my weight or the the weight loss that I've already achieved. And then let's say we are able to get that person's calories up to 2000 and they're maintaining their weight on that. At some point when you're physically, emotionally, mentally ready to quote unquote diet again or lose the last bit of weight that you need to from a, from a health perspective, 
we then can take it down maybe to around, you know, 16 to 1700 calories and you would be losing weight, but on a much larger amount of food and you've got wiggle room. So it's basically can also be used or the purpose of it is to allow healthy weight loss to continue without compromising your health once you've hit a plateau um, Mm. or you've hit a place where it's no longer sustainable or healthy to continue pursuing a weight loss goal. It's a way to actually hit pause, look after your hormones, look after your thyroid, look after your health, provide you with a mental and emotional break from, you know, trying to function on a low amount of food while still maintaining within reason the the results that you've that you've achieved already. So and I just want to point out here that we're speaking to this in the context in which this is a healthy goal for someone. I'm I'm not a fan nor do I support um, or encourage people to well you can, I when I say this I mean you can do whatever you want but in terms of I I am of the opinion that it's weight loss and body composition changes. I'm so happy to help people with these where that is a healthy goal. But when we're talking about someone trying to lose the last quote unquote two or three kilos that really isn't a healthy goal in terms of they're already someone who is of a healthy weight, healthy body composition, I, I'm usually trying to reframe that and really understand what that means for someone before encouraging them to pursue that. Because usually at that point in time, we're not really talking about it being for health reasons. We're also talking about perhaps it being a reason that might be coming from the wrong place. That's not always the case, but I'm always wanting to have that conversation to see, well, is this a mask for a deeper problem that we need to work on or is there actually some other work that you can do that allows you to be comfortable and confident at the healthy weight you're already at or is this a genuine coming from a really healthy healed whole place that you know we can move you towards but we all have a different body shape we have different genetics and i don't think all of us are supposed to be super lean bean skinny sticks you know some of us are we all have a friend who they've just been a really lean person their whole life and they eat really well it's not like they're forcing themselves into that and we also all have people in our lives where they have always had you know a curvier body or a more muscular body so it's more about optimizing the template so to speak that you've been given in a healthy beautiful way mm-hmm. um, without trying to force yourself into a body composition that you're going to have to sacrifice so much to maintain, including perhaps your health. Mm, that's such a good point. In fact, I've had a couple of conversations with people um, over the last few months just with obviously working out, eating more has actually made my weight go down, <laughs> mm. but also conversations around how much weight I I want to lose. And it was interesting what you just said then, because I guess I've been quite focused on what was my weight before I got sick with mold. Mm. Um, and, you know, the numbers don't matter, but ultimately when I think about um the level of activity I was doing and how I was eating, none of it was super extreme, but also it was probably more than I'm willing to do now. Mm. So, you know, uh, in terms of what is the healthiest weight I can achieve with also having the best lifestyle without sort of compromising anything um, or having it affect my quality of life was mm. also, a you know, something I had to ponder. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really interesting concept actually. And and it's probably not fair, you know, five, six years down the track to to sort of be expecting my body to go back to what I was virtually in my mid-30s when I'm approaching my mid-40s mm. either. Um, and what that ends up looking like, I don't know, but I, I too have had to sort of feel into, all right, well, you know, what is the optimal look like for me now rather than what it looked like for me, you know, quite some time ago. So yeah, I great. Love that. 
Yeah, I really love that. I always encourage people to look forward and not backwards because mm-hmm. it's what's happened in the past happened in different contexts as well. And, you know, I, I can relate to that really strongly actually because I'm someone who had spent most of my life underweight because I had an eating disorder from when I was, you know, anorexia from when I was 12 and a half to probably like, 21 or something or 20 I mean it doesn't just end overnight but you know what I mean around that time and so the body that I thought was my normal if I was comparing it to where do I want to get back to was based on a body that was underweight for what you know my genetics or or um you know healthy weight range would actually be and I'm not saying that that's the case for everybody but I love what you're saying there around How do I move forward into and focusing on a, rather than a number, focusing on a feeling Mm -hmm. um, because the number, it it really doesn't matter. I get why we get fixated on it, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's really a feeling that we're chasing of comfort and confidence and whatever number that happens to land on, you know, within reason is, is beside the point. And as females, we already know, or I hope that, you know, everyone listening that that number fluctuates it fluctuates based on throughout your life based on how much muscle mass you might currently have based on where you're at in your cycle how good your sleep's been the night before what exercise you've been doing um, whether or not you've done a poo before you weigh yourself like all these different kinds of things so when we're talking about tracking these kind of changes i'm often encouraging people to use multiple ways so that you're not getting fixated on one thing, particularly weight. Like if someone feels that they have a really healthy relationship with the scales, then I'm I'm fine with them using scale weight as on average as a way to um, one way to try to track progress. But I'd never encourage someone to only use that. I'd say use photos, use how your clothes are fitting, use, you know, tape measurements, use Mm. the thing that you have the healthiest relationship with and also that don't use just one way of measuring, knowing that they all have benefits and drawbacks. Mm. Well, speaking of which, I guess that leads us to the final kind of question about what to expect if you undertake reverse dieting. So if this is something that, you know, you've been listening to this episode and you're like, oh, this could be something for me, you might be wondering, are you supposed to keep losing weight while you do it? I mean, I did, (laughs) Um, but obviously (laughs) everyone's different. Um, Do you maintain? Do you gain? Um, and what is the expected outcome? Obviously, we've talked about the purpose, and I particularly love that you know your quality of life improves where you can maintain your weight and, and eat more food, um, and which makes socializing and all of that sort of thing a lot easier. But what what if what is some something that you know if someone was to undertake reverse dieting, what should they expect? Knowing that everyone's different, but what what's your general take on that? I always encourage people not to expect to continue to lose weight. That Mm -hmm. is not the goal of a reverse diet. Mm -hmm. And when you go into it with that expectation, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment and a sense of failing at it. Mm -hmm. So yes, some people evidently do Mm -hmm. lose weight in a reverse diet, um, but that is not necessarily going to happen for you or the goal of it. So I think in terms of what to expect, most most people will maintain their weight or gain a little bit. And I do think that it's unrealistic to think that through the whole of a reverse diet for most people that you're not going to put on a little bit of weight. Um, And what I'm referring to when I'm saying weight is often scale weight. Mm -hmm. So there's a few reasons for this. One is that you're eating more food, so you're going to weigh more. You're literally eating more food, so you're going to step on the scale and weigh more. You are eating more carbohydrates, which means carbohydrates hold water. Water equals weight on a scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to often often go up. Um, in terms of increases in body fat, for some people that will happen and for some people that won't. It depends on how quickly 
you do it. So as I said earlier, the slower you increase your food, the less likely you are going to put on much body fat. Um, The faster you do it, because your body has less time to adapt, like its metabolism up as you increase food, the more likely you will to to put on a bit of weight. But most people, like I would say, you know, would maintain their weight within one to two kilos. And I would call that maintenance because Mm. of all the factors we're considering around more food, more carbohydrates, more water on board. It's it's realistic and I would say a successful reverse diet if you're maintaining your weight within about one to two kilos of the weight in which you ended that diet on. Mm. Um, that's not to say that it's wrong if you if you gain more weight than that. Um, because again, if if you're not that concerned about gaining a little bit of weight in order to heal your metabolism faster, then you could put on, you know, more than that. And that would be fine because you've adjusted your expectations. But most people, when when they're going through it, their communication to me is, well, I, I don't I, I don't want to put on any weight. That's my goal. And I go, absolutely fine goal. The expectation then is that you know, I, I want to maintain my weight within one to two kilos and that's realistic. Mm. Um, body composition wise, I actually see a lot of people feel like they feel better in their body um, in term, at least initially anyway, particularly when we just first start to increase their, their food because a lot of the time, as I said earlier, the increase in food is like a stress relief for your body. And so you tend to start to hold, like start to hold less water and less fluid retention as your body adapts to that, provided that you're not stressing yourself out mentally and emotionally with eating more food, which can be a little bit of a battle for people. But Mm. most of the time, people's body composition either changes in a positive way or stays Mm. relatively the same um, when they're doing it slowly and gradually. Mm. Well, that sounds like a sensible strategy. And it's good to know that ultimately um, weight loss is uncommon Mm. and obviously not the goal. And so an ideal outcome would be maintaining your weight, meaning within one to two kilos, understanding those other factors that might drive it up a tiny bit. And then in the case of weight gain defined as more than a couple of kilos, um, I imagine you would then maybe make some adjustments um, around that or if it's not too extreme, just allow allow that just a little bit more to creep up to correct some of those other underlying things. Would you say that's would be a good strategy? Yeah, because it's always in context that we're interpreting these things as well because sometimes um, – you know, probably above, you know, one one to three kilos is pretty maintenance land in terms of maintaining. One to two is um, most common, but one to three is is probably pretty reasonable as well. Mm. Um, and the other thing is also, yeah, what context are you doing it in? So what I mean by that is if you're reverse dieting, but you're also actually starting to go to the gym more or um, lift more weights, that it's also a possibility that some of that quote unquote gain that you're seeing is because you've actually started to put on a little bit more muscle. Um, And so some of that weight may, you know, quote unquote weight may be coming from that. And that's why, again, I emphasize not using scale weight as the gold standard of how you're tracking it, because I have seen clients where they have completely changed the way their body shape and body composition is, but Mm. they weigh pretty much the same. Mm, um, you know, so it's, and it's, and it's also why, like, if you think of it, if you can't think of that for yourself, think about, you know, two people that, I mean, most people don't know people's weights, but there's a lot of people who might weigh the same, but have completely different shapes. Um, and as women, you know, it's really important for us to actually try and have a good amount of muscle on us because it is protective from a cardiovascular standpoint, from a um, you know a bone health perspective, from a hormonal perspective. I'm not saying you need to go and be you know a bodybuilder or anything like that, but don't shy away from putting on muscle or 
maintaining the muscle that you do have because it has many, many, many health benefits. Mm, Yes. I I can really relate to that too. Coming back from the detox retreat that I did, I lost five kilos, but of course the, I was having soups and juices and coffee enemas every day. So my colon was emptied every day and so <laughs> that's a that's a whole other story folks oh, it really <laughs> is guys you missed it out we'll try and loop you in <laughs> maybe when we do another episode on poo escapades we'll talk about that one but um I knew as soon as I started eating more food the scale was going to go back up because I had more food in my gut and I haven't continued to do the coffee enemas at this point in time and of course that did happen and but and yet my size didn't change so i've dropped a dress size um maybe even a little bit more and my clothes are fitting really differently um i've got things that i you know wasn't able to wear for a while that i can now wear again and putting on those couple of kilos has made absolutely no difference to my overall shape uh, it's just literally the the extra food and possibly a bit water more water in there as well. So I really like um, the emphasis on using multiple methods to monitor your progress. At the retreat, they had um, a bioimpedance machine that measured, you know, body fat, muscle, and that's definitely my preferred way of assessing someone's body composition as well. Uh, for lots of reasons. Um, As Nat said, you know, as long as you're being consistent with what you're using, that's okay to have something to sort of compare back to. But knowing that scale weight can mean so many different things, I really feel like if you can add at least one other method, and maybe that's just your tape measure, um, it stops you kind of getting into your head. I was actually at this retreat with a friend, by the way, a male friend, one of my dearest friends of mine and my husband's. And it was interesting. He lost five kilos in the first week, two kilos in the second. And he was really disappointed in week two that he only lost a couple of kilos. And I haven't actually chatted to him about the third week. He stayed on for a bit longer. However, we were in the gym every day and he was lifting weights and he was doing all kinds of stuff. And as a guy with testosterone, he puts on muscle easier than a woman. And I personally am of the view that he was putting on muscle, um, which is actually really important for healing your metabolism as well. Um, it's one of the primary ways you can change your metabolism is by gaining muscle. And mm. I really think for him, you know, he was between those measurements was all we had was scales and um, he was, I don't know, I think it really brought him down and he was disappointed and maybe felt like he wasn't putting in enough effort when really if we put him on the body composition machine, I think it would have told quite a different story. Um, And so, you know, if you're going to undertake any kind of nutritional changes, whether you are changing your diet to lose weight or you're going to reverse diet, it is really worth having a number of assessment tools to give you better insights into what's going on Mm -hmm. because it would be such a shame um, if you were to base off one measurement and kind of throw everything out when actually it could have been really working for you. So yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, and, and again, like reiterating that, that idea around this is about how you feel, not a number. Um, and I think that's something, yeah, that I just want everyone to to remember because I do think that sometimes, particularly because we all have so much conditioning around scale weight, mm-hmm. it it can um, infiltrate into our minds this idea that I am only okay, I am only allowed to feel proud of my body shape or my body composition once it equals this particular number. Mm-hmm. And if that's you, then... I don't think that more um, work on body composition change or weight loss is going to give you the freedom and the confidence and the comfort that you want. I would actually say that that is a mindset piece. That's a inner confidence um, journey. And I think that it's really important to to go on that journey at some point when you're ready because uh, it's something that can make a huge Huge, 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 huge difference. 
Mm, I love that. Well, what an insightful episode, Nat. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us all. And for anyone who's this concept was new to, um, I'm excited to have, you know, been able to have this conversation um, with Nat so that you understand there are other options, especially if you're feeling a little bit trapped um, with how you're eating and the results you may or may not be getting. Um, that's probably it for this episode, unless there's anything else you want to share, Nat? No, one, well, one announcement is that, uh, at the moment I have opened up a handful of new one-to-one spaces to work with me in June and July this year. So if that's of interest to you, then you can either flick me a DM or you can actually book straight off my website at the moment. So just nataliekdouglas.com. Um, and my thyroid rescue and gut and um, hormone rescue ebooks, recipe ebooks are also still available for you guys if you're struggling with meal ideas or recipe ideas and just want a little helping hand then you can also check those out on my website and um yeah have them in your corner for a little bit of inspo Mm, i love that well that's it for this episode friends thank you for joining us and we can't wait to be in your ears next week see you then next time bye You've been listening to the Holistic Health Podcast with Amy and Nat. If you loved this episode, then make sure you share it on Instagram and give us a tag. If you'd like to help us spread the holistic health message far and wide, then we would also so appreciate it if you left a rating and review. This helps us more than you know. And don't forget to come and say hi over on Instagram. See you next week.